I am Nathan Detweiler. I'm the assistant pastor of this church. I just wanted to introduce myself for those of you who may not know me. Uh, we, are, we are in the middle of a series of the book of James today. And we are in James 1, 19-27. If you need a Bible, actually, you need a Bible. So <laughs> put your hands in the air like you care to have a Bible. Yeah. I wish I had one of the, like a t-shirt cannon for Bibles. Just shoot them. Psh, psh, psh. Everyone gets one. So I want you to follow along in the text today. Where I'm, going to, I'm going to read it, and I want you to follow along uh, in particular today. It's not going to be on the overhead projector today. Before we get too far into the sermon, uh, before we get into the, the main part of the sermon today, I just wanted to share some thoughts from James 1.18, which is the verse directly preceding today's text in 19 to 27. It says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. This is a verse that's pointing back to the idea of being born again. Do you remember when Nicodemus was talking to Jesus? And he said, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of the spirit of water from a mom. You know, you have to be born into the world. And then of the spirit, you have to be born again of God. Uh, And and what we're talking about when we're talking about this idea of being born again, of being given birth through the word of truth, is this idea called regeneration. This is where what you were is transformed by the powerful word of God. And this is something that Tim alluded to in his sermon last week. Uh, Regeneration. The classic uh, text that everyone knows on this 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is quite a sweeping you know, statement, a very pronounced statement about what it means to be born again. And what this means is, God, when he's given birth to us by the word of truth, has filled us with his Holy Spirit. When you, when you talk about the Word of God, you know, the Word is called Jesus in, in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the Word of God. Uh, it's also the, word, the words of God when he created the world, the created the cosmos. God spoke, and it was. He spoke, and it was. The Word of God is powerful there. Uh, the Word of God is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And the Word is also... You know, the text of the Bible and the words recorded for us, all scripture is God-breathed, it says, and useful for teaching, rebuking, and equipping a person for every work, good work of faith. So the, the scriptures, the, the word of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it all boils down to this powerful thing. The word of God is a very powerful thing. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the heart. It divides joints and marrow. The Word of God is powerful. And it's a bigger concept than we, want to, than we want to make it. We like to just restrict it to one thing. But the Word is a big concept, and it's a powerful, powerful thing. And what this is saying is, God gave us birth through his powerful Word of truth, that we might be a fr- the firstfruits of all he created. And this idea is, is the dunamis. It's a Greek word that means dynamite. That's used of the power of God. The dynamite of the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and given us new birth and changed us completely so we are regenerated into a new thing. Though this is theologically true, and you might shake your head like, yeah, that sounds theologically right, 
How many of you feel like this is the reality of your existence as a Christian is the question. Sometimes uh, I fear that people from their initial conversion to Christ when they were first born again kind of think, I'm all set. You know, this is a transaction. I have been justified, and that's true. God declares you righteous. That happened at, at your salvation. You're declared righteous, you're good. But you're not quite good. You're saved 100%, but you're not magically just completely transformed from the get-go. Walking, moving, and changing is completely necessary for the person of faith in order to get from where they are to where God wants them to be. Walking, moving, and changing uh, is what allows you to feel the power of God at work in your life and allows you to feel the regeneration of God coming upon you. Walking, moving, and changing in the Lord is what it's all about. Our experience of faith can be a vibrant experience where we feel this, uh, this sense of newness of life and rebirth, but we have to walk in it. We have to be willing to move. We have to be willing to change. We have to be open with every part of our life to God move, changing us. We have to be open. Every part of our life, we have to be open. We have to be willing. And if we're not, then we're going to start feeling not quite the power that we'd hope. You know, there's an inner witness uh, in the Bible. Romans 8 talks about the spirit within our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And that can get muffled. Like, you're still a child of God, but that can get really muffled when you stop being open to change and being willing to move and walk in your faith. That can become very muffled. The message this morning is anyone can grow, move, and change in God. About five years ago, I decided I wanted to grow, move, and change with God. And I introduced a brand... I was in a... I'd come into a stagnant period of life. I felt stagnant. And uh, had, had some troubles. And I decided to put into practice the discipline of confession. And I've talked about this before. And this is a spiritual discipline where you just share with a trusted person, however you want to, about basically your, your sin life. Like what you're... Your, your account with God, like how you are doing or not doing what you should be doing. And it's a way to let God's light into your life, right? And they, now all of us, um, all of us are pretty good at sinning, you know, in general. Um, and sin really does muffle the sound of the inner witness. And sin is a terrible cycle because you sin and then you feel bad about it. You commit yourself, I'm not going to do this. And, and then you do it again and you, have, you get in this horrible cycle. Confession is an amazing thing because you, sh- you can share with a trusted person and keep the short account with God. And whether you do it weekly or daily, it's an accountability thing where not only can you, can you grow... But your, your friend can tell you, you know, I, I see this growth in you, and you can experience the vibrance of life through that confession. And that's a really powerful thing, keeping those short accounts with God. Um, and it's to the point now where it's just a daily thing. I just share if I'm struggling daily. And, and, and you know what? The river of God has flown through my life like never before. The power of God, the power of the Spirit, at, uh, being open to make, take practical tra- steps to moving and changing. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's like, uh, are you a pond or a river? Are you a pond or a river? You know, at first when a pond is, is, is made, the water's fresh. It's great. Just put a couple two-year-olds in the pond, you know, and you know, a few days later it looks kind of like this picture here, green uh, over the top. It's nasty. It's nasty. 
says, uh, Jesus says, those who believe in me, a stream of living water will flow up, flow through them, welling up to everlasting life. You know, it's all about the river with Jesus. It's all about the river, the streams of living water. And you know, that's why Jesus says, abide in me, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you're that nasty pond. And you know, you feel that way too. You feel just yucky. You really need to allow the river of God to flow through your life. You really need to be open. And if you're feeling that stagnant feeling, that pond feeling of faith this morning, you know, it's a normal experience, and we are going to offer prayer after service. Me and the elders uh, will lay hands on you and pray that you'd be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. We'll pray, we'll pray for you in any way that you need prayer. But as a, as, a, as a starting point, I just wanted to say, we've been born again by this word of truth. It's a powerful thing. It's a pronounced thing. We are, we are children of God. We have to walk, move, and change in order to walk into that river and walk into that flow of God. And the starting point is that idea that, you know, the same word that spoke creation into existence, the same word that became flesh and dwelled among us in Christ, the same word that raised Jesus from the dead after three days, the same word that healed and delivered sick and demon-possessed people in the New Testament accounts, that same word has given birth to us. Let's walk in it. Let's walk in it. So what can we say about this word of truth? What can we say about uh, this powerful word? I'm going to divide, divide words into two categories and ask these two questions or make these two statements. God's powerful word saves you holistically. This is, this is what I'm kind of talking about here. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. And the encouragement this morning is work with it. Work with it. Work with the river. Work with the river. Don't like decide to become a pond and get mossed over. Work with the river. God's powerful word saves you holistically, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Work with it. We're going to talk about that today. On, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, your powerful word can ruin you holistically. It really can. Your family, you, your family, your church, your larger community. You need to work on it. You need to be open to moving and changing as the Spirit leads you. You need to be open to repenting and, and receiving forgiveness and moving forward. Uh, otherwise, your words can truly, really hurt you. The Bible has a lot to say about your words, and today's passage is no exception. Open up your Bibles, please. I'm going to divide the reading today into two headings, your words at work and God's word at work, and we're going to kind of talk within these frameworks uh, James 1.19, we're going to read through, through verse 27. I'm going to make a couple comments along the way. So James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Interestingly here, if you look at this sequence... If you do the first two, the third is a natural outflow. This is really practical stuff that James is giving us. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and the likelihood is pretty good that you're going to be slower to become angry, right? Verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. This, this uh, comment, righteous life, is really interesting. The word for righteous here is a word that means justice. It means God bringing about God's ends, God setting things right. So that's what we mean by justice, God setting things right. So what this is saying is, your angry words do not bring about the justice of God. Your anger does not bring about God's justice. It doesn't help God's justice. 
Um, God's plan is not to use your words to make his justice happen when you fly off the handle. You know, this is not, this is not plan A. It doesn't bring about the righteousness of God to, to uh, allow anger to have its, have its way in you. Verse 21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, there it is, the idea of word, the powerful word planted in you, which can save you. Get rid of all moral filth. Moral filth is talking about the leftovers from before you knew Christ. So the stuff you did, the stuff you walked in, the junk you walked in before you were a Christian, part of the new creation thing, becoming a new creation in Christ, is putting aside, walking, moving, changing, moving away from the things that you used to do that made you alienated from God or made you at least experience that feeling of alienation from God to put off those things, the moral filth. And for, for all of us right now, everyone's got thinking like, <laughs> everyone's thinking all kinds of different stuff right now, the stuff they used to do before they knew Christ. And they're like, geez, I hope, geez, man, this is crazy. But, you know, uh, the, the stuff we did before we knew Christ, it's, it's just, it's all in the past, but we need to continually throw it off. We need to throw it off because that stuff can really entangle us and get, and get us down. It can muffle the voice of the inner witness, cause us to, you know, get dragged down to the point that some, some Christians doubt their salvation because they, they just don't feel it anymore, you know? But it's not because they're not saved. It's just because that stuff, they're not walking, moving, and changing. They're turning into a pond. Um, and put off the, uh, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And this is just talking about general evil stuff in the world system, stuff that, um, apart from even your previous life, just stuff that's around, that's so prevalent in the world. Put off that stuff, um, it just weighs you down. And then the, the, part, the section, those are your words at work. This is God's word at work. Uh, in verse 21, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. This is, this is such a powerful thing. This, this word for word oh, is seed. It's potential, like it's pure potential. Um, God has, is trying to bring about humanity as he originally designed it by planting his word in us, by planting his seed in us. And it's saying, humbly accept what God is doing in your life. That can save you. That can really cause you to become what God wants, what God is calling you to become. Uh, I, I bought a new used car this past fall, which was very, you know, yeah, <laughs> I only buy new used cars. I don't have, I never had new cars. But uh, I, was, I was in the YMCA parking lot and it had been inspected and everything. This is a week after I got the car. Everything's great. I turned the key and nothing happens. And I was very, very, I felt very upset about that, you know, and worried about it. But it turns out it was just the starter. The starter was bad. And so I had a mechanic throw a new starter in and the thing just started right up. That's what the word of God is like in the life of a person, you know. What, what is dead comes to life. All the hardware is there, if you will. But when the word of God comes into your life and you humbly accept that word, it just, it brings to life, it brings to animation the new humanity that God is trying to, trying to, forge in the world, the new humanity that shows his power to the world. Um, Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. So that's God's word at work. And now we're back into your words at work. If anyone considers himself religious 
yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Youch. <laughs> James does not uh, mince words at all. So you consider yourself to be religious, but you have an awful gossiping and slander problem. You have an awful anger problem where you rant about politicians and stuff. <laughs> Whatever, like where you're just letting loose and letting everyone have a couple truth bombs from your arsenal. Like, you consider yourself religious? You might want to take a second look at that. You need to keep a tight rein on your tongue. Verse 27, this is God's word at work. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's time to start working with God's word and start working on your words. It's time to move and change with God. (laughs) Mirrors were very rare when this passage was written. So this illustration that James gives of glancing at yourself in the mirror and forgetting what you looked like, completely possible. Could have happened back then. Judging from looking at you guys, I'd say uh, you looked in the mirror today. You all look pretty good. Um, But back then, people didn't look in the mirror very, very much. And uh, what what this passage is saying is, when you look in the mirror, we're supposed to peer into the law that gives freedom to peer into it. And that, that means look intently into it. Look intently into it. And the, law, and the law that gives freedom in this context, the law that gives freedom, are the loving parameters that God has set for his people in the Bible. These are things that God has given us to follow and live by, which, are, which lead to freedom, true freedom. An example of a law that gives freedom is when you go one direction on the road, you drive on one side of the road. And when you're going the other direction, you drive on the other side of the road depending on what country you're in, they're, they're different, but the, the concept is the same. Can you imagine the chaos if there was no rules of the road? If there was no parameter that governed traffic rules, can you imagine the, the chaos? It would be like Saratoga during track season, basically, where everyone is just homicidal in their cars. <laughs> Pedestrians! But, um, this is an example of a law that gives freedom. This is, this is a good thing, we'd all agree. It leads to all motorists getting from A to B in a, in a reasonable time, time frame. And that's what God's law that gives freedom is like. It leads to an abundant life for those who will embrace and follow it. When you, follow God, when you look into God's law and you peer intently into it, that's like you get down and you really look. When you really look and take it to heart. You know, this is something, this is something that really pleases God. This is something that can bring great transformation to your life when you follow these parameters. Let's talk about some laws that give freedom. Let's be honest. God telling Christians that they should not be married to people who are not Christians or considering for marriage people that are not Christians is a law that gives freedom. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. When someone is dating a non-believer, it seems like the right thing. They might even say, I've even heard people say, I think this is who God has for me. But the Bible teaches that we're not supposed to be married or, or, or looking into marrying someone who's not a believer. It plays like a script, you know? At first, everything's good, but then interests are divided. One goes to church, the other doesn't, which leads to a lot of heartache in the part of the believer. One wants children, when children come to the picture, they want their kids to be raised in the faith. The other doesn't or doesn't care, which is also a heartache 
and anyone who's been through that. I mean, family, friends have been through this, and no judgment from me at all. It's just hard. It's hard, and we support anyone who's in this situation 1,000%. One desires a shared spirituality in the home, you know. Another doesn't or doesn't care, you know. One wants to keep away from the moral filth and the, you know, this, it sounds so drastic in the passage today, but the stuff that so easily entangles and drags down and the other doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care. And it's something that really limits and kind of um, impedes the faith of the Christian in that, in that um, marriage over time. And again, this is not, at first, it seems like this is a great idea. But over time, it gets very, very difficult. And sometimes by God grace, God's grace, people come to Christ and a, a believing spouse prays for and serves their unbelieving spouse and that person comes to Christ. Praise God for that. And um, there's actually instructions in the scripture on how to, how to, how to be in that situation as a, as a Christian when you have an unbelieving spouse, uh, which we could talk about during the week this, this week. So um, no judgment on anyone that's, that's in this situation. What I'm saying is the law that gives freedom says from the get-go don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer because when you, do, when you do this, it is something that takes away your liberty. It takes away some of your freedom. It causes some heartache. This is a loving parameter. This is a rule of the road that God gives us. So it seems limiting, but it's not. It gives freedom. Second example. Sexual relations of any kind outside of the covenant of marriage. Not as Bill Clinton defines them. That's why I say of any kind. <laughs> Um, sexual relations outside of mar- the covenant of marriage talked about in the Bible. Is God's law really limiting your freedom or creating freedom for you to enjoy for the long haul of your life? You know, with this commandment. I mean, if you think about the things that, that you know, there's... It, it's difficult to talk about, but there's diseases, there's conception of children without a, a committed uh, family, family unit at the time, Right? Uh, there is one thing that no one talks about, but this is the first thing I go to because um, you know t- some teenagers I've talked to have, have had kind of like a more laissez-faire attitude about about this. And um, you know, when, when you have sexual relations with someone, the Bible says you become one flesh with that person. mind, body, spirit, like intertwined with this person, you know? It's not just a physical thing. It's, it's, it's a total being fusion. And um, sex outside of the covenant of marriage uh, causes you to basically form this fusion and then rip it apart multiple times. And listen, sec- secular psychology, I studied psychology in college. I mean, what you see in a counseling office as a psychologist is is it's evident that this is destructive to people, you know? It's emotionally traumatic for people to be torn apart over and over again in, the, in their soul. And again, this is not a judgment thing for me. This is, God can bring healing and restoration. God can bring, I mean, many of us have been in this kind of situation, but God, God, can, God can work with it. God can redeem it. God can move with it. But this is a loving parameter God sets from the get-go that saves people a lot of heartache if they'll follow it. It's a law that gives freedom. God wants you to be free to live in one, one heart with someone, who, with, with, uh, with someone who is your only sexual partner for life and who fa- shares, your, shares your belief system uh, so that you can have an abundant, vibrant, robust spirituality and a vibrant, ro- robust, hopefully, you know, sex life and all kinds of good stuff. You know, God, God wants that. And he wants, he wants blessing. But uh, 
when we deviate from those commands, uh, we, we, we can get really entangled. This is a law that gives freedom. Let's, get, let's, let's uh, zoom back into our passage today. Uh, talk about a law that gives freedom in our passage. James 1, 19 to 21. Does it give you freedom or limitation when you are slow to listen, quick to speak, <laughs> and explosively fast at becoming angry? Does that cause freedom or limitation? I found that when someone looks into this particular law and forgets what they look like, it can be very, very destructive. Very, very, very destructive. How limited is the angry man or woman who refuses to listen to other people, who pretty much thinks about what they're going to say next the whole time they should be listening, and tries to formulate an argument as they're listening to the person they're talking to, and then reacts explosively to people and situations? How limiting is that? It leads to, to bondage, it does. It leads to loss of relationship. It leads to loss of trust. Um, loss of jobs. People have lost their jobs. I've heard stories over angry outbursts and not being able to hold it together. Substance abuse, because the under, underlying issues are not addressed. And deep in, deeper and darker things. You know, anger, human anger does not ever bring about the justice of God. Human anger does not bring about the justice of God. God's plan A is not to use your anger... Like, oh, God's just waiting for you to explode so he can show that person. You really think that's how God, God works? Leave room for God. Leave room for God. It's not okay to let loose. Anger is, is not a sin, but it has to be kept severely in check. It has to be kept severely in check. And that's what this, this is saying. Uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue, it says in James, you know. Um, I recently heard a speaker who shared a very interesting reflection. He said, what if we could look around this room and see the anger in each person we were around? You know, we'd be shocked, but we shouldn't be. This is a common problem. That's why I'm so, I'm so not judgmental with any of this stuff today. This is just our stuff. This is our stuff that we need to bring to Jesus, and we need to be willing to move and change and grow or allow God to redeem, depending on what stage of the process we're in, right? Which he'll do, because he's great and he's loving and kind. But... You know, uh, God's plan is not to use your anger and your outbursts to bring about his justice. Um, When you think about the bondage that can come from being slow to listen, quick to speak, and explosively fast with coming angry, uh, think of the things you lose. If you're a human being around other human beings, you lose your reputation with your friends and associates. You know, People think of you as the hot-headed one who's irrational, basically, and no one takes you very seriously anymore. Uh, bring it into the home. You, know? you can lose the trust of your spouse. It takes a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy. Trust, right? Uh, think about your children. You'd like to speak into their lives someday. You know? But if you're like an angry parent, and this is men and women who deal with this issue. You know, you lose, you lose the right and the authority to speak into your kids' lives in the sense of their apprehension of your voice. Not that you're not doing the right to speak to them, but they, they don't have the wherewithal to, to listen to you anymore. I mean, you lose so much. It leads to extreme bondage. And um, think, about, think about how the angry person who 
who's never, you lose, one of the freedoms I thought about this week, you lose the freedom to be wrong when you're an angry person. Because everyone else is wrong, and you like jumping on them, and treating them as though they're wrong, as treating them as though they're stupid, treating them as though, why didn't you do it this way? And this is the, the marital quabble, this is the marital fight that I just keep seeing of people that are like headed down a really bad road in their marriages. It's, it's um, outdoing each other with, what, what were you thinking? You're so stupid. I would have done this. Here, let me do it. As, as recently as yesterday, we saw this played out in a supermarket, you know? This is heartbreaking stuff. When, you, when you're just an angry person, you lose the right, you lose the ability to just be wrong and have someone be gracious with you because you have played God in your own domain. You've played God, and you're unquestioned, all-knowing, all-powerful, never wrong, and everyone else is. You lose so much freedom. Be quick to listen. Listen intently. Assume that you may be wrong. This is a really good idea. Assume that you may be wrong. Honestly find your piece of fault in the situation as far as you can. And after a while, when you have something productive to say, say it. But if you don't have something productive to say, say nothing. Honestly, wait on God to help you process these things. If you're a believer today, wait on God with that. I don't consider myself to be a stupid person. You know, I, I've been to college, and not that that means anything, but different, different things. I'm not a stupid person. But I can tell you, anger makes you so stupid. Anger just makes you a fool. You get, you know, the closer the relationship, the more anger that's present. I mean, you don't see things as they are. This is trying to save us from some heartache, this passage, this, this law that gives freedom. Uh, because when you're in this situation of, of being angry, I, I made a, when I got married uh, seven years ago, I made a vow that I would always lead in reconciliation. That was my vow seven years ago. And I didn't know fully what it meant. I knew a little bit of what it meant. But in the last seven years, I've committed to be the first one and to, to lead in reconciliation. It's probably almost irritating. So I'm just trying to, like, oh, I'm so sorry. What did I do? Try, but, like, the thing is, like, the way I've done that is by saying, you know, even if I feel like it's all my wife or something, I'll be like, you know, this 10% is mine. I own this. The interesting thing that happens as you process is I've found more times than not, it just goes from 10 to 15. And then you, you realize that you're 90% of the problem. I'm not stupid. I'm not a stupid person, you know? But you're an idiot when you're angry. You know, you're so stupid, and you can cause so much trouble. A forest is set ablaze by the power of the tongue. The whole ship is steered by, the, by a tiny rudder, James says later on. You know? Um, you are an idiot when you're angry. When, you, when you're angry, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Vow that you will lead in reconciliation, whether, whether it's your friends you know, a lot, a lot of times there's this, um, there's all kinds of quabbling that happens among friends. It gets pretty ugly um, with, with, your, with your spouse and your marriage. If everyone led in reconciliation, if everyone followed this, it would be a much more amazing ex- existence for everybody, I think. Um, the great thing about James is that he, he doesn't leave us without some very practical application, as I said earlier. I want to uh, look on in verse 26. I have it written, but if you could look in your Bible. Uh, This is great stuff. If anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And that that means inconsequential. So, and this is the context of anger, you know. But it's also, you you could think about it with slander, with gossip, talking behind other people's backs, saying whatever you feel like, 
exploding, <laughs> um, dropping the bombs. If you don't keep a tight rein in your tongue, you deceive yourself, and your religion is, is inconsequential. You need to take a closer look. Religion that our God, our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I figure the opposite of looking at orphans and widows in their distress is selfishness. You know, doing what, thinking about what benefits you all the time. And this is like something that you, this is something that most people cannot see that they do. <laughs> it's like the sin of pride and the sin, selfishness and pride are, you're so blind to them. It's, it's ugly. It's really ugly. You think, you think like you're not a selfish person. You think you're not a proud person. Everyone else is like, that person only thinks of themselves, <laughs> you know. It's bad. I mean, we've all been in that situation. Um, the opposite of looking after the poor and the widows is, is, uh, is selfishness. And pure religion is the opposite of selfishness. Uh, selfishness is when you, care only, when you really only care about you and your own interests, and maybe the people around you, say family unit, friend group, you care about them to the extent that it benefits you. That's kind of your sphere. So if it helps you out, do it. Uh, Jesus told parables constantly about inviting people to a banquet who could never repay you. You know, that's what it's all about, pure religion. Selflessness, uh, pure religion, is manifested in taking care of the vulnerable in the world, those who can never pay you back for what you do. The poor, the orphans, the widows that walk among us. And the Old Testament, this is not a... This is not a um, new concept of James. This is all the Old Testament. God's big thing is be self-giving like Jesus was. Jesus exhibited self-giving love to the point that he gave his life for, for us out of love. And the Bible's, the Old Testament, God is constantly grieved with people, and it says so through the prophets, for, for overlooking the poor, the widows, and the powerless, and for only caring about their own interests. That's a, that's a self-giving love that Jesus gave. And that kind of self-giving love and living in this way brings about freedom and a joy in your life. And the final, the final section talks about keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. A way to translate that, this is keeping the smudge of the world off of you. You know, just keep the smudge of the world off of you. Um, and it's all about who calls the shots in your life. Is it you perpetually or is it Jesus Christ, the person that you call Lord? You know, who calls the shots? Is it the law that gives freedom that calls the shots that comes from God's lips? Or is it you, you know? Keep the smudge of the world off of you. This is a way that we live in joy, that we live in the river, that we live in the fullness of life that God has for his creation. I'm going to invite the worship team up uh, to, to close us in a song. But I just wanted to kind of recap this, this idea. God's powerful word saves you, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And I hope you can see today. Work with that word. Work with that seed that was planted in you. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you and transform you. And today, I hope that you can I hope that you can consider how your words can ruin you and really take a close look at your own heart and, the, and, and, uh, and, and where you are going uh, because a little fire can set a whole forest ablaze. A little match, you know? A, a small rudder can sear an entire ship. Your words can really destroy you. And James is saying, take a second look. As I said before, we are offering prayer after the service. All of the elders are going to come up and uh, we're going to we're going to pray. Uh, I already have someone that we're praying for healing for today and anointing with oil, but we, we're also willing to pray and lay hands that you might receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today. Uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and then he also breathed on his disciples later on and said, receive the Spirit. Like, there's a theology for receiving 
more of God as you walk through life and needing to keep on receiving more of the fullness of God. And that's available for you today as well.